You are listening to the Grace Covenant Cornelius Podcast. Well, grab your sermon notes, if you would, there this morning. Keep your Bibles handy so we can look to a couple passages of Scripture. This morning, we're launching into a new series that we've titled, God Never Said That. How many of you know God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he never said? Are you with me? I've been in conversation with individuals before, and though I've not come right out and said it, because I don't want to be offensive, I don't want to be cutting, uh, but I'm listening to people talk, and it's like, man, you're lying on God. Like, God never said that. And oftentimes we credit God with these statements, and they've kind of snuck their way into the church. And so what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to talk about these um, these partial truths or twisted truths that, that individuals have come to believe is like um, the truth of, of God's word. And it's these things that we become comfortable with, like they, they may sound good, they may sound right, they may even make us feel good, but here's the challenge, they're misleading because they're not fully, they're not fully true. What I know is that there's popular one-liners that have wormed their way into our Christian vernacular that sound good and sound appealing, but they're simply not true. Possibly a shade of truth or enough truth to make them sound appealing, but they're not true. And if they're believed, they become like, like a virus to our faith. And so we want to, we want to take some time over the next few weeks and we want to talk about some of these things that we've credited to God or quoted as their God's word that are, that are, are, are really Really not God's word. Because this is what I know. We can be deceived. Would you agree with that? If we're not careful, there's things that can be stated that sound right, that sound good, but they're really not like established in the truth of God's word. And we can be deceived. Let me just see if I can illustrate with this. How many of you have ever seen a jackalope in the wild or in a zoo? I have a picture I want to throw up this morning. How many of you have ever seen one of these out in the wild? Anyone? In the zoo? Well, obviously you haven't, because this is a make-believe creature. This is like a, a, um, this is a, an animal that's been created by some individuals that were um, very good at the art of taxidermy. And that they took a jackrabbit and they put uh, deer antlers or antelope antlers on a jackrabbit and it's called a jackalope. Actually, this came about, a little backstory here, this came about in the 1930s. There was a gentleman by the name of Douglas Herrick and his brother who were um, hunters and they also had this taxidermy skill and they created a, these these creatures called jackalopes, they sold their first creation in a local hotel in Douglas, Wyoming, and it was like a huge hit. It, like all this conversation, people were gathering around this creature that they had created called the jackalope, and, and all of a sudden they realized, hey, we've created something that could generate some revenue, and so they began to make more jackalopes, and they were sold throughout South Dakota, throughout the western part of the United States. But it's interesting, over recent, decalo- over recent decades, the this myth or this story of the jackalopes has grown into like a symbol of folklore. Like unique characteristics have been attributed to this horned varmint, such as being da- so dangerous that hunters are encouraged to wear shin guards when they go out into the wild so they might not be gored by this uh, cantankerous creature. Well, obviously, obviously none of this is true because there's no such thing as a jackalope, right? But jackalopes, as I was thinking about this, 
I thought, you know, jackalopes are like many of the lies or untruths that Christian believe. The cliches we hear may sound harmless, innocent, or even cute in the moment. However, we need to realize that they're, they're not true. They're, they're lies. There's partial truth. So what's the best way to deconstruct the lie? We bring the truth, right? The best way to confront the lie is to shine the light of truth on us. So over the next few weeks, we're going to debunk some of the lies as we... As we dive into God's word to discover truth that can guide us in our lives. In John 8.32, Jesus said these words, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall what? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. This is what I, I believe, in part, Jesus meant by that statement. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free to live in the fullness of life that God has for you. The challenge becomes when we begin to believe a lie or we're deceived by something that sounds right or sounds true that's really not true is that it's taking us away from the very life that God has for Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. See, the source of our belief system must be established on the person of Christ and the truth of God's word, not the culture that we live in. You know, truth is not what we want it to be. Rather, it's what is established by the God who's given us life. And we're living in a time today, like when we're living in a time today in which truth has become relative, which simply means this: truth is whatever people want it to be. How can I confront something in your life if truth is relative? No, truth is what you know. How can you tell me I'm wrong because truth is what I want it to be? That's the statement of relativism, and we see that playing out in our culture today. And I believe it's really important for us as believers, as followers of Christ, that we're always coming back to the true source of truth, being God's word, the authority of God's word, and that it would. Be that that we build our lives on. So here's the first common lie that Christians believe that I want to address. And here's the lie. God just wants me to be happy. Yeah, I got one laugh. God just wants me to be happy. I was having a conversation with someone the other day. Um, and they actually made that statement and said, you know, Pastor, what I know is God just wants me to be happy. And, and I said, like, where did you read that at? Second Opinions 2.13? <laughs> like, that has to come out of your opinion because it certainly didn't come out of God's Word. Yet, interesting to me, they were making the statement as if it was black and white right in God's Word. Well, well, you know, Pastor, God just wants me to be happy. Now, how many, how many of you have heard that someone say that before? Or maybe how many of you said that yourself? Maybe even deceived in your own life. Well, you know, God just wants me to be happy. In other words, God's greatest desire and His ultimate plan for your life is your happiness. Or maybe we could say it like this. It's all about you. All about what you want. I mean, after all, I mean, God wants you to be happy, right? Do whatever you want. Make it whatever choices you want, as long as you're happy. And what happens, what happens with this point of deception is that individuals can justify choices and actions that would actually be the opposite of God's word simply by proclaiming, well, you know, God just wants me to be happy. Interesting, I was interacting with a pastor a few weeks ago, and he was telling me about a situation he was working through with a young couple in crisis. And he began to tell me the story. And the story was like this. It was a young couple. 
started dating when she was in high school. She was 17. He was 22, so a few years older. As she graduated from high school, so now she's 18. Um, they get married, so they get married young. At 20, they're blessed with their first, their first child. Beautiful baby girl. Everything is going wonderful. Everything's going well until they come to the, the four-year glitch. You know what the four-year glitch is, right? It's the time when someone says, I don't think I want to be married anymore. So here's this woman who married young. She's married at 18. She's a mom at 20. At 22, she's thinking, you know, there's so much that I missed on life. Somewhere along the way, there was this seed of doubt that was planted that that grew into a tree that, um, that, that deceived her. And to believing, wow, there's something that I missed in life. And, and so she had this long list of regrets. And so the pastor's telling me this story. You know, she's talking about, to her husband, she says, you know, I never got to, like, date other guys. I never got to um, go dancing in the clubs. I never got to do all of these things that everyone else gets to do. And I feel like, like I missed out on that. And, and like, I don't want to be married anymore. And what was interesting is the pastor and his wife were working with this couple they came really to the end of the end of the road, the end of being able to help the couple when the young lady said this, I don't want to be married anymore, and this is what I know. God just wants me to be happy. In other words, this was that I'm walking away from my commitment. I'm walking away from what would be God honoring. I'm walking away from God, what God's word says because this is what I know. God just wants me to be happy. How many of you know at that point she's deceived, believed a lie? And that happiness at this point, happiness in her life has trumped truth. Happiness has become a greater value than truth, and she's stating that as, well, obviously, this is what God wants for my life. There's a statement that oftentimes I find people say, or this card that they play when they want to justify their actions, and you know, it could be about marriage, it could be about any number of things, any breach of ethics, where they, they, they justify that, again, by saying, well, you know, God just wants me to be happy. I think here's a good question. Is happiness really the determining factor for everything? Is, is happiness the greatest good in the world? You know, I've been in ministry now for over 25 years, and I've, I've actually heard story after story. You wouldn't believe some of the stories I've heard. Story after story where individuals have walked away from truth simply because they believe, you know, God just wants me to be happy. Therefore, it... It's okay that I do this. It's okay that I make this decision. It's okay that I hurt these people. It's okay that I create this collateral damage along the way because after all, God just wants me to be happy. Now, now don't get me wrong. I, I'm not anti-happy. I'm, I'm actually a happy guy. I like happy as much as anybody likes happy. So I'm not anti-happy. However, What I'm convinced of is this, God's greatest desire for your life is not just to make you happy. And we're going to see that as we look to some truth this morning. But see, the world's view of happiness is tied to circumstance. If my circumstance is right, then what? 
I'm, come on, help me out. I'm happy, right? Circumstances good, then I'm happy. If circumstances are not good, then I'm not happy. Now, here's the deception we're confronting today. The deception is this. If you become a follower of Jesus Christ, God promises that you're going to be happy all the time. I mean, I've, I've actually heard people say this. You know, if you become a follower of Jesus, then life is going to be great. Now, I would say becoming a follower of Jesus is the right thing. It's, it's a good thing. It's what you were created for. It is the way to abundant life and eternal life. But this is what I know. Just because you become a follower of Jesus Christ doesn't mean that you're not going to have problems. Doesn't mean that there's not going to be circumstances in your life that can cause a happy leak in your life. So the deception is you become a follower of Jesus, God's going to, God promises to you happiness all the time. That's not true. What, what God does promise is this. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. What God, what God does promise is this, that he'll love you all the time. In other words, his love for you is unconditional. But nowhere in the Bible will you find the statement that God promises to you that you're going to be happy all the time. Here's the truth. Our happiness and success are not God's end goal. In other words, it's not his greatest plan for your life. His plan is to conform us to the image and likeness of Christ. In other words, God has a greater goal and a greater purpose for your life than just making you happy. His desire is to transform us and to help us to be all that he's created us to be. His desire is that of an ongoing refining in our lives. How many of you know we're all in process? Isn't that true? Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're in process and you're looking good. Go ahead and tell them. We're all in process. As followers of Christ, we're all in process. Praise God, I'm not who I was, but this is what I know. I'm not yet who, fully who God created me to be. I'm in process. You're in process. So it's the truth. God is refining in our lives. Matter of fact, there's a scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that says, for, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. So you and I, have been predestined want to be conformed, to become like Jesus. How many of you know we're not there yet? Right? We're not there yet, but that's the process that we're all in. And oftentimes in that process, the circumstances of life don't bring happiness. Why? Because God's greater, His greater commitment is to who He's, who he's created you to be, who He's making you to be, not just, not just keeping you happy. Here's the problem with pursuing happiness as the goal for your life, is that it's, it's conditional, and, it, and it's the result of the happenings in your life. How many of you know the circumstances of our life are not always right? They're not always good. Can we agree with that? In other words, at times, life, life gets challenging. And if we're not careful, we can allow the circumstances of life to dictate our happiness. In other words, it dictates how we respond. It's, extremely, it's, a, it's an extremely dangerous scenario when outward forces control our inward feelings. In other words, when what's happening out there is going to determine how I respond in here. 
So, so as we think about happiness, it, it's really not a, it's not a wrong pursuit, but we must understand it's not, it's not like God's greatest plan for our lives. He's working to a greater end, um, a greater plan for us. You know, it's interesting, the word happy appears six times in the Bible, and none of those are in reference to God's intention for your life. None of them. And only six times. If you contrast that to joy, it's interesting, you find the word joy about 180, 170, 180 times, both in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when we believe a lie about God's greatest plan for us or God's promise to us is happiness, it brings about deceit. Matter of fact, I call it the happy deceit. What happens when we believe that lie? When we, when we take that hook, line, and sinker, and we believe that God's greatest plan for our lives is just to be happy, what happens as that plays out? It's three things, and they're there in your notes. The first is this. When life's not happening the way you thought it would, this is what happens. You doubt God. You begin to wonder, God, where are you at and what are you up to? See, because happiness is usually the result of right happenings in our lives. When those right happenings are not happening, and we thought they were supposed to, then what happens? We begin to question God. Like, God, where are you at? What are you up to? God, do you really care? Do you know where I'm at? And we begin, to, we begin to doubt God. If we believe that we're supposed to be happy all the time because we're following Jesus and we're not there, then what? We doubt God. We question God. For example, let's say you, you, you start a new job and you know, it, looks, it looks like it's going to be great. Pay's great. The people are nice enough. And so you get this new job and everything's going great and you're about, you're about six to nine months into the job and all of a sudden the job's not so great. Now it's becoming a struggle. You're not, like, there's no happy at work, right? You wake up in the morning, you have to go to work, but you don't want to go to work because it's not a happy place. And if you believe that you're supposed to be happy all the time because that's God's plan for your life, then you begin to wonder, God, how, where are you at? How did I get here? Why did you bring me here, God? So then it becomes what? It becomes God's fault because you believe the deception. Or, or maybe it's like, you buy a new home, and it's like the dream home. It's what you always thought. And you're like, wow, in this home, we're going to find great happiness because it's what we've always dreamed about. And it's wonderful and great till about two years in, and the mortgage payments are getting, are getting really tough. Like it's stretching the family budget. Now stress is going in, growing in the home, and there's like no happy in the home. And you're wondering, like, God, where are you at? What are you up to? We begin to question. We begin to question. God. Not only do we begin to question God, when you believe this happy deceit, like God's greatest plan is your happiness, then, then when you don't experience the happiness you expected, then, then you're disappointed. So not only do you doubt God, but then you get disappointed with God. How many of you know when you have expectations and those expectations are not met, what happens? You get disappointed, right? Like, if I expected you were going to bring me an apple pie today and you didn't bring me an apple pie, guess what? I'm disappointed. Or maybe in the marriage, if you have expectation of your mate and your mate does not meet those expectations, then what happens? You, you, you're disappointed. 
When we have an expectation of God that he's going to constantly bring happiness in our lives because it's what he's promised. And when you come to situations and circumstances where happiness is no longer there, then what happens? You get disappointed with God. Like, God, you're you're letting me down. God, you're not coming through on your end of the deal. So you begin to doubt God. You begin to question God. But possibly, here's the greatest challenge with a happy deceit is individuals begin to justify actions and behaviors that are the opposite of God's word that creates challenges in their lives when they believe the happy deceit. You heard it earlier in the story of the couple where the wife says, I I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. I I just know God wants me to be happy. Where individuals begin to give excuses for behaviors that are, Opposite of God's word, all because of, well, you know, here's my lie. I know God just wants me to be happy. So I don't have to fulfill this commitment. I don't have to honor what I said I was going to do because, you know, God just wants me to be happy. So what happens, again, is we see that, that this lie trumps truth. And then we begin to justify, we begin to justify our actions. Now, obviously, we don't want to get tripped up by the happy deceit. So uh, let me give you some truth, some truth that brings life as I wrap this up. Because I think this is what we always want to come back to truth. What is the truth of God's word? Here's the first statement. God's more committed to your spiritual growth than to your comfort. Or I might say it like this. God is more committed to your character development than your comfort. God is more committed to who you're becoming than just your happiness. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, I I want you to notice what James wrote. It's on the screen. Follow along as I read this. Notice this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kind. How many of you know trials of many kind doesn't sound like a happy place? Can we agree on that? When we think about trials, we think about adversity, we think about difficulty, we think about hardship. But notice, James says, consider it pure joy when we're facing these trials that come in our lives, these places that are usually not happy, if I can add that in there, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not Lacking anything. In other words, what James is saying is you're going to face difficulties in your life that's going to mature your faith, that's bringing about a greater purpose, that's bringing about your growth and development. It's it's God being committed to a greater future for your life. It's kind of the same thing we do as As parents, as parents, we are the spiritual guides for our children. And what? We believe that God has greater future for them. So what do we do when they misbehave? 
when they have like some bad attitude, bad actions, wrong actions, but we bring correction and direction. And when I was a kid growing up, my parents believed in who I could become. And so when I had attitude and behavior that was opposite of what was expected in our family, they had a way of bringing trials for me to my backside to get my attention. Why? Because they were committed to the maturing of who God had created me to be. They were actually investing in my life. Now, I'm not saying as a parent that every parent in here should spank their children. However, I would say that you have a responsibility to bring discipline that directs your children. Why? Because there's greater potential in their lives. And so what? When when they are going the wrong direction, you kind of get them going back in the right direction. Not because you don't love them, but because you do love them. And so what? You create that that redirecting in us. You bring an adversity trial for their lives to get them back on the track, and it's all about the maturing of them as individuals in a similar way. In a similar way, God says there's going to be trials that come in your life. And these are times that are not happy. So if you're expecting to be happy all the time, then well, you, you, you're deceived, and you're missing the opportunity of growth that God wants to bring for your life. So the first truth we need to we need to grab a hold to this morning is this. God's more committed to who you're becoming, your spiritual growth, than just your comfort. His greatest plan. God's not, God's not like in heaven trying to plan like how he can keep you comfortable in your life journey. What he is planning, what he is working out in your life and for your life is a maturing of your life to bring you to the fullness of the plan that he has for you. Listen, you've not arrived there yet. So there's this ongoing process that God's working in our lives. So when those times come, what we can find joy in that. I'll talk about that more in just a minute. But God's more concerned about growing us than just keeping us comfortable and happy because of this. Listen, he has more for us. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, he's got more for you. Go ahead and tell him. And he's growing you to it. And as he's growing you to it, listen, friend, it's not always happy places. Sometimes it's hard places. And the challenge again is if we believe the lie, then we think God's, God's abandoned us. And he's not abandoned us. He's at work in our lives, even in those times where they're not happy moments. Because he's bringing about, again, a greater purpose. Here's the second truth. And the realities of life is that God uses times of mourning for the healing of our souls. How many of you know, in life, there's times of loss. Can we agree on that? We go through, listen, it is a reality of life. You will experience loss. Everyone in the room today, we all have our stories. You've experienced loss. And if you continue to live, you're going to experience more loss. It's, again, just the reality of life. We have the loss of loved ones. We have the loss of relationships. We have the loss maybe of things that we really value. Loss can come in a lot of different ways. But the reality is we have times and seasons of loss. And how many of you know those times and seasons are not what we would call happy times? In my role, I get to walk with a lot of individuals through times of loss. And I can tell you, they're not like the happiest times in life. However, what I I believe is that God uses those times of mourning to bring healing for the soul. 
That's why I, I encourage individuals to embrace the grieving process. Because in that grieving process, it's not a happy time. What's happening is I believe that God is bringing comfort and God's bringing his peace and God's bringing his healing. Again, they're not happy times, but they're times that are necessary. Yeah, I think grieving is healthy and good. I become concerned when people get stuck in grief. And I become concerned when people don't grieve because I think grief, God, God created us to need grief, this time of mourning, as a time in which he brings healing in us and for us. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. Interesting, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, and in that God brings his comfort in and for their lives. I know just this past week I had conversation with with two individuals who were in a state of mourning. And as they were processing through this loss of love, and I can tell you they were not in a happy place. Can this whole thought of God just wants you to be happy was, was not happening for them. However, I would tell you that God was present with them in that time of mourning. And what was he doing? He was bringing, and he is bringing, healing for their soul. So God uses times of mourning that are not happy times for the healing of our soul and to bring about that of his good work in our lives. Here's the third truth. God does not promise happiness, but this is what he does promise. He promises joy. He promises that settled state of contentment, of confidence and hope that comes from trusting in him. I want you to listen to how the scripture reads in Romans 15. Verse 13. It's on the screen. Let's read this together. Can you read this with me? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we read that one more time? And I want you to emphasize with me this all joy, because that's what I believe God wants to bring for us. It's, it's His promise to us, not happiness. But all joy. Let's read it one more time. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a big difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is about right happenings. It's about right circumstances. And the challenge is, is life is not always Filled with right circumstances. Right? So happiness is about having right happenings. Joy is about the reality of the presence of Jesus in our lives. So not every season you walk through, not every day you walk through is filled with right circumstances. But even in the midst of that, you can have joy in your life. Why? Because of the presence and the reality of Jesus Christ. Well, you, can, you can walk through life with confidence and contentment. Why? The reality of the presence of Jesus in you and the fact that God's for you. I think it's interesting that the Apostle Paul, writing from a prison cell. How many of you know a prison cell is not a happy place? I haven't been there, but I've heard the stories. 
So Paul, writing from a prison cell, Philippians 4 says this, I've learned to be content. Know what it is to have plenty? Know what it is to have nothing? Been in both places. That's what he said. But I've learned to be content. In that, what, what was Paul saying? He said, man, enjoy my life because of the presence of Jesus. I'm not in a happy place. But there's joy in my life. I've learned to be content. I'm confident. In that same book, Philippians 4, Paul would say to the Christians, hey, don't worry about me. God knows where I'm at and God's at work in my life. That's a, a summary of what he says in Philippians 4. What was he saying? He, he had the joy because of the presence of Jesus in his life. Was his circumstances good? No. Were they easy? No. Yet he had joy. Why? Because of the presence and the reality of Christ in his life. So no matter what we go through, we can have joy because of this fact. God is with us. So the good days, joy. The bad days, we can have joy. Times of suffering, we can have joy. When everything goes your way, you can have joy. When nothing goes your way, you can have joy. But joy remains because it's not, it's not about our circumstances. It's about the presence and the reality of Christ in us. And this is the promise of God's word. He says he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Because of the presence and the reality of Christ. Well, we can have joy. We can have confidence and contentment no matter what we're walking through because of the presence and the reality of Christ in our lives. So we have Jesus with us and he's the source of our hope and joy. So here's the, here's the summary this morning. When you're happy, celebrate and give thanks. It's, a, it's okay to be happy. Celebrate and give thanks. Enjoy those times. But when the circumstances of life are not bringing happiness... To know this, God's still in control and He's still working for your good. Because, again, circumstances are not always easy. They're not always right. Yet, in the midst of that, what God's still with you. So not every day is going to be a happy day. And God never promised that you would be happy all the time. But what He did promise was His presence. His presence with you in every season. So, listen, now don't be deceived and spend your life chasing after happiness. Don't do that. What you want to do is you want to spend your life chasing after Jesus. And what you're going to discover is something greater than happiness. You're going to discover joy. The joy that will carry you through every season, whether good or bad. Like Paul, learn to be content. Whatever the season, whatever the situation. So don't believe the deceit. Don't believe the lie that God just wants you to be happy all the time. Again, God's not anti-happy. But hear me, friend. His greatest greatest goal in life is not just to keep you happy. His greatest goal in life is to grow you to be all that He's created you to be. And to bring about that of His good plan and His good work in your life and through your life. Amen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you this morning for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for your presence in our lives and for the joy that you bring. No matter what we're going through, Lord, the reality is sometimes life gets hard. Lord, not every day is a happy day. Not every day is a good day. God, that's what I know. What I'm grateful for today is that our emotions don't have to be up and down. 
because of your presence in our lives. Lord, that we have a joy that can anchor us in every season. The Holy Spirit, I pray for everyone in the room today, including myself. May we not be deceived to be chasing happiness. But may we set our hearts, God, to chasing after you. And Lord, as we pursue you, God, I believe that in that you bring something greater than happiness. You bring your joy for our lives. The Holy Spirit, guide us, I pray, as we seek you. But I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.